Welcome into the Magic Weekly Podcast. It is Thursday, November 5th. Jake Chapman here with you. Less than two weeks away from the NBA draft coming up on Wednesday, November 18th. The Magic sitting uh, with the 15th pick in the first round, pick number 45 in round number two. And to talk about that and so much more, NBA draft guru, uh, formerly international draft guru. He covers the whole darn thing now. Fran Fraschilla. My guest today here on the Magic Weekly Podcast. You can find him on Twitter. It's at Fran Fraschilla. Coach, thanks so much for joining me. Let's dive right in because I know you're a man uh, who's got a lot going on these days. I I wanted to ask you, I've been hearing so much about the relative strength of the draft next season uh, and obviously a very you know unprecedented a lot of questions going on uh with with the salary cap so a lot to work out before we even start the 2020 2021 nba season do you think the relative strength of next year's draft class will affect this year's draft and the way teams go about their business headed into this season absolutely doug case in point golden state warriors You know, if you look at it, um, let's assume that staring at James Wiseman at number two, who I think is the best player in this draft, Mm. 7'1", 7'6", wingspan, probably the best athlete in the draft. Um, You know, if you're Golden State and you're thinking about, for example, Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball, I was looking at the 21 draft uh, yesterday and, you know, seven of the top 10 kids right now potentially could be wing players. And so Golden State is likely to have Minnesota's pick next year, uh, unprotected, I believe, uh, at least for the most part. And so they might be looking and saying, we can get a big kid like Wiseman now and maybe maybe Kate Cunningham or Jalen Green or some of these other kids who will be in the first round next year, wing players, is available to us as we transition away from the big three. Because at some point here in the next two, three years – you're going to have to start if you're Golden State replacing Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and, and Steph. And so, yes, it's multidimensional chess, three-dimensional chess that's constantly going on with any draft because you have to put it in a proper perspective with regard to the type of draft next year will be, where you might be picking, et cetera. So, you know, the good teams do that. And I, I think Golden State's a perfect example right there. With that said, with, with, with as unorthodox as the last year has been um, for 30 NBA teams, eight NBA teams haven't even been together uh, since March, or at least played competitively since March, um, there's still a lot of questions before we even get this draft off. You know, obviously we still um, need to come to some, some conclusions as far as the CBA, as far as the start date, as far as the cap. Um, do you expect that to to cause more movement potentially in the weeks headed up to draft night and on draft night? Do you expect this to be kind of a throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks type draft? Or do you think maybe maybe teams will sit on their hands a little bit more because of that uncertainty? Well, I think I think with some teams they may throw they, they may try to throw more stuff against the wall, but I always adhere to the Bill Polian line, um, the, the Hall of Fame NFL GM who once said that when they went back and studied their draft boards every year, they did the postmortem, go back two, three, four, five years, their most accurate board was always the first board they put up in mid-December. And the reason I mention that, Jake, is because when we got to March 11th, and I was in Kansas City at the Big 12 tournament, the teams that really do a good job, which is most of the teams, okay, these are professional evaluators, I think their boards, their first board was fairly set, you know, with, 
where they kind of rank the guys based on what they saw during the season. Now that would, uh, that would be adjusted because of NBA combines, individual team workouts, medicals, et cetera. But I think most of the teams have a pretty good idea of where they have these guys ranked. And so I think they're going to stick with their boards pretty much. You can, I, there's guys on this board uh, in this draft that are quote unquote moving or rising up the draft boards. I just don't see it. You know, I don't see it. I, I, I think if you've evaluated a certain player at 12 or 13, for example, and the mock drafts have them at 29, and all of a sudden you, they're, they're moving them up to like the teens, well, you've had it figured out where the mock drafts are just catching up to you, if you know what I mean. Right. Now let me ask you this, because one of the things, when I was in Detroit, I used to talk to a lot of the, the members of the front office there, and these are uh, folks who used to work with John Hammond and then Stan Van Gundy when I was there. Yeah. And one of the things that I always heard was if you see that late movement, a lot of times it's because of the in-person interviews. And I, and I don't think that fans and necessarily broadcasters put enough stock into how one face-to-face meeting, one five-minute interaction with a kid can, can sort of turn somebody on or off um, or at least bump them up a couple spots. Obviously, you're going to rely on the work you've done and the film study you put in. But for you when, you, when you're able to sit down and talk to a kid that maybe you didn't know much about, how much does that weigh in on your evaluation? Is it just a small part of it or, or, or can it be that big piece that maybe says, you know what, that's the guy I want on my, in my locker room? I think it can be a big piece. I think also these, these guys are getting that information throughout the young man's career. Right. Uh, starting at the McDonald's All-American game, Nike Hoop Summit, you know, then they're on into college because these guys are well connected to the college game, for example, and they can pick up a phone and find out about a young man quickly. And then that gets validated maybe through a, a, an interview process. But I think where it's really important, I think where detective work is really important is when we give this kid, you know, $22 million, is he going to, is he the kind of kid that wants to be in the NBA or does he want to be an NBA player? Mm. Uh, like there's a difference and you got to know what makes a kid tick. Is he going to spend, you know, like time uh, away from the normal team practice with assistant coaches and develop him, develop his game on his own? Is he going to work in the summer? Is he going to improve on weaknesses? And for that to happen, you have to know that a kid just absolutely loves the game. And not every one of these kids, believe it or not, loves the game the way others do. Like, I, I give the example, and I don't know him personally, but I don't think Tyler Hero sat around for five months and did nothing during the pandemic. I have a feeling that a guy like him was in the gym uh, based on the way he played in the bubble. So those are the kind of detective uh, – that's the kind of detective work that – I like to discover is, is does he really love to play? And if he loves to play, he's going to be in the gym working to get better. So a lot of times you're drafting a kid who you know is an incomplete player, but you have the confidence in your player development staff and the young man that, hey, we give this kid time to marinate for a year or two, he will get better. He'll become an NBA player. All right, I'll put you on the spot. Are there a few guys in this draft that you say, I'm not going to have to worry about that with that guy. That guy's a gym rat. He loves playing basketball. And, and maybe there are questions elsewhere, but putting the work in will not be an issue. Well, I would say this, Jake, in all honesty, um, there's been a sea change in the last decade uh, among NBA draft, you know, the, the NBA draft. We're getting more quality kids than ever before, high character guys. Um, and I think part of that is because the influence of the stars in the league who by and large handle themselves uh, you know, with great 
character, integrity. Also, I think USA Basketball's had a lot to do with this as well, and they're all interconnected. And I know it's a tangent, but when Jerry Colangelo and Mike Krzyzewski took over USA Basketball, it became cool to represent the United States. And when that happened, one of the things that bled down to the junior level was, if you really want to be on the Olympic team someday, we would advise you to play USA Basketball on the under-17, under-18, under-19 teams, because it'll have an impact someday when you get to the NBA. And yeah. so what we've, what we've got is an incredible group of kids character-wise. Um, and so for the most part, I think they do have that character trait, the ability to want to keep getting better. And you can talk about I, – I, this is just off the top of my head with no list in front of me. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, Isaac Okoro, Okongwu, uh, Devin Vassell, Patrick Williams uh, – R.J. Hampton gets great marks for his work ethic uh, in wanting to be a good player. So, you know, I mean, even LaMelo, you know, I'm, I'm reading about these things where LaMelo's not interviewing well, and I don't buy it. You know, I don't think that's a reason he'll drop if he dropped. It may be more about his ability. But I just think that the character of these kids is, is as good as it's ever been coming into the league. And oh, by the way, Magic Draft 2020 is brought to you by Simply IOA. And as the presenting partner of Magic Draft 2020, Simply IOA is giving fans an unbelievable opportunity to be the very first fan to meet the Magic's 2020 draft pick. All you have to do is visit simplyioa.com slash magic, simplyioa.com slash magic, get a quote on your home or auto insurance, and it only takes you a few minutes. And for additional ways to enter and see rules, visit simplyioa.com slash magic. You might be the first fan to meet the Magic's 2020 draft pick. What, what kind of a trick does it create for you to evaluate a player in the NBL versus versus in the SEC? Um, or, I mean, we're, we're starting to see a real sea change here. And it started years ago, obviously. But yeah. um, with the G League Showcase, with a, a couple kids committing to HBCUs, it, 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 the landscape has changed drastically. But specifically, when you're talking about going overseas and playing in a league, look, the NBL, that's good basketball. But yeah. it's different. It's a different evaluation process. What, what, what does that do to you as you try to figure out where to slot these guys in? Well, it's a great question. And um, I think the way I've always analogized this is, and there's different levels of, you know, international basketball that these young prospects come out of, obviously, but I've always compared it this way. If the NBA is major league baseball, high major college basketball is double A and the Euro league or the Spanish league, and maybe now even the French league to some extent that's triple A. Okay. So if obviously the obvious example is if, if Luka Doncic at 19 is dominating the second best league in the world, that's like hitting 375 in triple A. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a hitter. That guy's probably going to translate to Major League Baseball. It's different than if a kid's averaging 18 points a game in Kansas, like a, let's say a Kelly Oubre did. In fact, he probably didn't even average that much, but Kelly Oubre, it took him five years to become a reasonably good NBA player in part because he showed flashes at quote-unquote double A, the Big 12, but he wasn't polished yet. So I, I think to answer your question, teams are really getting better and better at evaluating the different strata strata of leagues around the world. The NBL is a good league, and I have a lot of friends in, down there in Australia, um, but the, pick, the defense and, and the athleticism is not – ACB or EuroLeague. So you don't want to be tricked by LaMelo Ball or RJ Hampton, for example, on given nights playing great down there. 
when there's a pick and roll switch and some 6'10", 260 pound uh, center is trying to keep them out of the lane. That ain't happening. So you have to understand like the nuances of the styles of play around the world. But for the most part, we now understand what translates from league to league around the world. And there's one last example, Denny Avdia, who's going to be a nice prospect who could go, will definitely go in the top 10. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between him playing a lot of minutes in the Israeli league and average, averaging four points a game from Maccabi in the Euro league, because they're playing both at the same time. And you have to understand those translations that the Israeli league is a lot different than playing night in, night out in the Euro league against Barcelona, Cheska, Moscow, and Real Madrid. It, it, well, and then, Coach, I look at, um, and, and I'm going to butcher his name, Poku, uh, Alexei Pokuzewski. Right. You, 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 look at the, you look at the video there and you say, wow, that's a, it's an intriguing talent. You look at the competition and you say, I have no idea how that translates, what he's doing there. You know, we, we've got the 16-year-old kid um, now that we're seeing video of the, the kid from Spain, Victor. Yeah. At some point, you have to project it. But when I'm watching them play against guys that look like, you know, uh, uh, me and a couple of buddies at the RDV Sportsplex, I have no idea how projecting that must be. It's got to be it's got to be so difficult. It is. It is. And and again, like, you know, like when um, when Giannis came out and, uh, um, you know, the the, the league he played in was really like uh, somewhere somewhere between high school basketball and maybe average juco ball. Yep. So it's really hard to tell. We all were in Italy when Giannis got his Greek passport, became a Greek citizen, and we all from we all left the Euro camp to drive forty miles to see Giannis three straight nights, and we all most of us uh, thought, "Hey, nice prospect. He's first round pick. It's going to take a while for him to develop." And obviously, Milwaukee pulled the trigger, and the rest is history. The next year, his agent put another guy in the draft who had similar athletic potential and his name was Bruno Caboclo. Mm. Um, and, you know, two years, I hate to say it, two years away from being two years away. Yep. And Pokashevsky is kind of that boomer bus guy because he's seven feet with enormous offensive skill, but he weighs 205 pounds. Right. And so I'm concerned about that. And I've also checked and I don't want to kill him. Uh, he's Serbian. I know I have a lot of Serbian friends there are teams in the league that love him that think in the middle of the first round that he could be a real steal, but I'm, I'm not one of those guys. So that's where it's hit or miss. You know, it is hit or miss with guys like that, with Giannis, Bruno, you know, Pokashevsky, and then you go back over time, Jan Vesely and others. And yet, on the other hand, Jake, almost 25% of the league is now born outside the United States. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole – and you've, you've watched this change. I, I'm somebody who believes that um, even back in the day when we had these sort of preconceived notions about European players, all it took was one guy – every year there was another guy who was sort of breaking the mold and changing yeah. the way that we perceived players like that. And if you go back far enough, you're going to find the Drazen Petroviches and the Vlade Divacs of the world who, who yeah. you know, probably should have warned us that – um, all of the ideas that we had of European players in the first place were, were going to be inaccurate. I mean, that's completely changed now, right? It, it, there's that's so many European players and international players um, every year that there, there isn't one book on how to describe these guys. Totally. I mean, well, first of all, they come from, you know, I don't know, last I checked, I think the NBA's had people from like 20, probably 30 plus different countries. Right. 
So, and, and every system that they come out of is different. If you look at the French kids like Evan Fournier, for example, French, France is an athletic league. The pro A is an athletic league because they're, they've had, they've had very liberal immigration policy over the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And so you get a lot of kids from former French colonies from Africa who, you know, emigrate to France and they turn out to be great athletes, obviously, and, and good players. And so the French league is an athletic league. Um, and so you can kind of get the feel about guys coming out of that level of play. But to, to really get back to your point, um, the game has changed. Um, I, I asked Jeff Van Gundy about this on one of my podcasts because Jeff was not really a believer 30 years ago. You know, he was a coach at the Knicks when the Knicks chose Frederick Weiss over Ron Artest. Right. And um, but I think even Jeff, I asked Jeff about the, the influence because he sees it every night as a broadcaster. And he said, if you really think about it, the best thing about international players is they brought an amazing skill level to the game, mm. uh, the NBA. And also, a, 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 I think, a premium on team play for the most part. And you add that to KD and Steph and Clay and, the, and, and Dame Lillard, and all of a sudden, we're not talking about dunking on Sports Center. We're talking about guys who can make threes yep. and play with skill. So the international guys have had an incredible uh, contribution to NBA basketball in the last 10 years particularly and have elevated the game and made it more popular around the world, and everybody's benefited from it. Let's talk magic. Obviously, still some some questions as far as free agency goes and, and sort of what the roster will look like moving forward. Right. Um, perimeter shooting was an issue with the team last year. Um, with that said, the front office kind of has a type, or at least we've seen um, sort of similar athletic-based, long and, and taller players. 15, who do you think might be available there? Who do you think would be a good fit? Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of guys um, because again, what we said earlier, I think there's going to be kids that go between ten and thirty that are going to be you know potential all stars. Um, so it, it seems to me, and just from the outside in, uh, that they need to shore up the backcourt. Um, obviously, Markel, who Markel Fultz, who when I ran the Under Armour All American camps, I got to know Markel really well. He kind of came out of nowhere going into his junior year, and I'm really happy for him, but not knowing the situation with some of the free agents, obviously. The older guys, um, it looks like there's going to be some guards and wings available there. And so just off the top of my head, guys that I really like, um, I think R.J. Hampton, a Dallas kid, is starting to get love. Um, you know, the questions about going to Australia and leaving after half a season because of an injury. But the intel's checking out great on him. He's a positional guy in terms of the athleticism for a wing position. Uh, you know, and I'm a fan of R.J. Hampton, for example. Uh, Devin Vassell from Florida State may not be there, but again, 3 and D guy. Really athletic, plays the right way, kind of a superstar role player, if you will. A, a kid that, you know, that a lot of teams like in that first 15. Um, Sadiq Bey comes to mind, a kid from Villanova who may or may not be there at 15. He's more of a, a wing forward, you know, three, four, but more of a three. Um, I can go on and on, Jake. So if you want to throw guys at me, I'll just give you my capsule opinion on each of them. But well, let's I do back, think. Let's go back to Hampton, coach, because he, he, certainly he's somebody that intrigues people. He's, he's somebody that, you know, draft Knicks have, have heard about going back to yeah. his high school days. Yep. I'm watching videos of him shooting in an empty gym and the jumper looks much better. And I'm hearing a lot of people say, you know, he has yeah. reworked his jump shot. How much yeah. can I read into that? 
I think you can read a lot into it because when I evaluate kids, Jake, I do it as a coach. You know, it's really funny. Um, uh, I always tell my NBA friends, I say, you know what we used to call player skill development guys? And they'd say, no, I'd say assistant coaches. Because when I started 40 years ago, believe it or not, as a young college coach, we did a lot of player skill development. So I always look at it from the point of view is, for example, is, is somebody's shot broken? And in the case of R.J. Hampton, the answer is no. He has to tweak a couple of things. I don't have my notes in front of me, but there's minor things that he could do, moving his guide hand and holding his follow through, not to get into the minutiae, but those are things that to me are very correctable. Um, and I know he's working with Mike Miller, you know, and of course Mike's going to promote him, but Mike's a guy that has great uh, respect, as you know, around the league. And, uh, and R.J. has been in Memphis quite a bit, working with Penny and Mike. So, yeah, I, I think R.J. – here's what I like about R.J. The intel is that he's got a fabulous work ethic mm. and a shot that's not broken. He's six foot five, athletic, uh, in that young Andre Iguodala mode. And so I, I think the sky's the limit for R.J. I think, if anything, he's being undervalued right now. By the mock draft, guys. But that doesn't mean that teams haven't figured out that, you know, in this draft – we may be getting a great player at 10, 11, 15, uh, and maybe a better player than somebody's taken at two, three, or four. Do you think in the league these days, Coach, if you've got two players who you've got just about sort of equally rated, just take the better shooter? I mean, it doesn't feel like that's probably what a lot of front offices will end up doing. And look, if you when you look around the league, yeah. um, you could be a great, you know, uh, a, a great playmaker and attack the rim, but if defenses can sag off you, then you're yeah. you're limiting yourself. And obviously, I think jump shots can be can be refined, but it's really difficult to make a jump shot out of nothing, isn't it? It's, it is, Jake, and I'll tell you, it's the underrated. You know, and the people in the league know this, but space is at a premium. Yeah. And the the the, the, the more you can extend the floor horizontally and vertically, the more space you have to operate offensively. That's just a given. And, uh, you know, some, and again, so shooting is at a premium and perfect example is, and I hate to bring it up because they're a rival in the Southeast division, but Duncan Robinson, right. you know, um, who is a, who they have to hide defensively, which is another thing that makes me laugh because in a normal draft uh, of, 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 you know, first year college guys, for the most part, top 15 guys are usually most of them first year college guys, 12 of the 15 can't guard anybody. And they have to learn how to become NBA defenders. And it's going to take them four or five years. You know that, Cody. Exactly. 24, 25, got a man's body. You can't defend in this league. Oh, exactly. I mean, you know, and we saw it. Like, I mean, Spolstra, it was a, it was a cat. It's always a cat and mouse game as to how to hide a good offensive player who has a weakness defensively. And that's why I laugh about people knocking Obi Toppin because the kid had 190 dunks in two years and he shoots 40% from three. And, yeah, his lateral quickness could be a little bit better, but come on now. Uh, he's no worse a defender than seven or eight guys I could name off the top of my head in this draft. So, yeah, I think shooting's critical, but it's got to be – it's got to be – it's a big piece of the puzzle, and you just have to understand how you value that versus the athleticism or lack thereof. And having said that, I mean, you can go down the list of guys, J.J. Redick, Corver. You know, this kid, uh, Aaron Neesmith, that's come, coming from Bandy, who may be there for the, uh, for the Magic, uh, you know, great shooting is still valued in this league, uh, without a doubt. I wanted to ask you specifically about Neesmith and about Sadiq Bay. Can you mm -hmm. just kind of give, give me a tale of the tape between the two of those guys? 
Well, Aaron Neesmith, man, first of all, Jerry Stackhouse, um, the team struggled, but, uh, but Jerry Stackhouse did a great job of running NBA sets for this kid. And this mm. kid is not only a great shooter, he's a great shooter off the move. Um, and he gets his feet set so quickly, he gets it off quickly. I mean, he's, I'm old school, so I'm thinking of guys like Dale Ellis and Orlando Blackman. And, you know, there's guys in the league like that now. But this kid can really shoot it. Great character. Good kid. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's right in that wheelhouse for a team like the Magic. I mean, he, his shooting is at a, at a, you know, high, high level for this draft. Sadiq Bey, um, you know, rock solid. Um, just going to be a 10-year pro. It's going to help you win games can do a lot of different things. Now he shot 46% from three, but I don't know if it's as pure, a, excuse me, a stroke as uh, Neesmith, but you know, Jay Wright asked him to guard ones, twos, threes, and fours. He moves the ball, he comes out of a great culture, a winning culture. So either one of those guys, I think, excuse me with these hiccups here, but uh, either one of those guys, I think would be a really good fit and high character guys. They'll play winning basketball in the league for a team that's on the rise. I want to tell you again about Magic Draft 2020 brought to you by Simply IOA as the presenting partner of Magic Draft 2020. Simply IOA is giving fans an unbelievable opportunity to be the very first fan to meet the Magic's 2020 draft pick. Uh, you're going to get an exclusive opportunity to attend his intro press conference. All you have to do is visit simplyioa.com magic, get a quote on your home or auto insurance. It only takes you a couple minutes for additional ways to enter and to see full rules. Visit simplyioa.com magic. Again, you can ask a ask the, the uh, draft pick a question during his intro press conference. You're going to get a magic prize pack, including tickets to a game next year and a team signed ball. Uh, and you can be the first fan to meet the pick uh, by getting the exclusive opportunity to attend his intro press conference. How about some sleepers before I let you go? Who are a couple guys, maybe late first or into the second oh. that you just kind of got your eye on? Yeah, I got to get my list out here, but, uh, you know, I'm just trying to think of, you know, I mean, these guys aren't necessarily sleepers anymore, but I'm in love with Isaiah Stewart, big kid from, uh, you know, Washington. That might not be necessarily where the magic go. Also, Jalen Smith, Stick Smith from Maryland, who could be a, a guy that fits, even though he's six foot ten, because he's a guy that can shoot the three ball and he also has a chance to rebound and block shots. Those two guys are probably, you know, from 15 on down to 25. Um, just trying to think, uh, you know, internationally, Killian Hayes would be ideal if he fell to 15, probably won't. Um, the kid Maladon is solid, French kid, probably later on in the first round. He's a kid I would not take with the 15th pick. Um, so th those are just a handful of guys that come to mind. If there's any sleepers that you have, I'm just off the top of my head. No, know. well, let's go back to Hayes just because now you yeah. got the wheels turning a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. A guy like that, I, I keep seeing, you know, he's got no right hand, and I'm going, well, yeah. it, it, it takes NBA players typically two, three years to adjust to somebody who goes left all the time anyways. Yeah. Um, that, that instant reaction is to guard the right hand almost no matter what. I'm sure yeah. it drives coaches crazy. Richie Adubato on the radio broadcast used to complain nonstop. You know he's going left, but yet you yeah. have him get left. Yeah. Um, tell me about Hayes just as a prospect and, and, and how – you know, what does a coach in a, in a scouting department tell themselves about a left-handed guy who has to learn eventually to go right? It's a great question because, you know, like John Stockton never went left. 
and it turned out pretty well for him, you know. Right. But but this kid, um, and he's got a lot of really good attributes, Killian. He's a, by the way, he's a Central Florida kid, right? He's right. His dad, you know, Duran grew up in Lakeland, and uh, and I doubt he's going to be there. But um, he's an interesting prospect, and I like him. I don't love him, but I like him. And this is where player development really matters because he's got size. Another guy that shot 30% from three, but I'm convinced the shot is not broken. I think he's going to end up being a good shooter. As I recall, he shoots free throws in the high 70s, maybe around 80%. But when I watch him go right, and one of the things that I evaluate, and it's really a good measurement for me, is I, I, I value pick and roll IQ from young players who haven't been taught NBA pick and roll yet which they will. And in his case, because he played for a very good coach in Germany, uh, Jaka Lakovic, by the way, a Slovenian, who everybody who follows European basketball knows who he is. But first-year coach, he gave Killian the ball. And in pick and roll, I couldn't find nearly any plays where Killian could go right in pick and roll and not just pick up his dribble after two bounces. So that really worries me. So at 15, he's a steal, and then your player development guys are getting on him right away, and we're going into the gym, and we're working on the right hand, and we're throwing cross-court passes with the right hand to the left corner, and we're going to develop that left hand. That's the coach, I mean, excuse me, the right hand. Jake, that's the coach in me. So there's a lot to like about him, but, man, he is a one-armed bandit. All right, Coach, last one for me. I, I, I want to get these point guards in because they're all sort of floating around there between 15 and, and 22 in everybody's mock drafts. Yes. Um, let, let, let's limit it. Give me a little thumbnail on Kira Lewis, on Cole Anthony, and on uh, Tyrell Taylor. Uh, Terry, excuse me, if you Tyrell will. Tyrell Terry. Yep. Kira, uh, Lewis is uh, – man, I, I, I tweeted about him two months ago. Uh, I love that kid. I It'd be a miracle if he drops to 15, in my opinion. To me, he's a poor man's John Morant. Mm. Fastest kid in the draft. Good pick and roll IQ. He sees it. Um, he uses his speed well. Can shoot it. Can create off the dribble. He shoots, you know, one of the big things in the league right now is shooting the pull-up three like Lillard and Kemba Walker do. Yep. He's going he's gonna to excel in that area. Cole Anthony's a wild card. Um, he's a... Um, you know, he's a, a scoring, he's a Lou Williams type. Um, he plays with a chip on his shoulder. He's going to be, he's going to be arriving at somebody's training camp kind of pissed off because he's dropped. Um, I don't love him, but I get why he'll be a good player. And then Tyrell Terry, honestly, um, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, I just don't see it. He's a good shooter. He's a, you know, he's a buck 70. Um, I wish him well. He's a good kid, but they had to hide him defensively at Stanford, and I'm really surprised. I'm surprised he's moving up the way he is, and, boy, I could be dead wrong, but I don't see it. All right, one more because it just reminded me of a sleeper player that I, that I liked watching way back in, in January and February. What okay. are your thoughts on Emmanuel quickly from Kentucky? You know, he's not a super athlete. He isn't. I mean, just, it's, you know, uh, he looks like it, but he's, a, he's stiff. He's got good size, but one thing he does is he can really shoot it. Yeah. Emmanuel's shooting stroke is rock solid. It'll definitely translate. He's been he's been well coached and hard coached. Um, to me, he's an he's a end of roster guy, eventual rotation guy. Again, one of those guys, you know, if he's got the work ethic to put the time in, I could see him being a, an effective, you know, role player in the league because I love his shooting stroke. 
Coach, I could do this all day with you. Um, I know you, you're a busy man. Yeah, I really I'm appreciate junkie. you taking the time. Uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime down the road. And, and thanks again for your time, Coach. Always a pleasure, Jake. Thanks. All right, there he is, Fran Frischilla. My name is Jake Chapman. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Jake Chapman OM. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Magic Weekly Podcast. Have a great week. Stay safe, everybody.